Continuing with our journey through the chapter of Salah from the book Amdat al Fiqh of the great Imam Ibn Qudama al Maqdasi. Uh, we left off with our author last week where we spoke about what to say in the ruku, in the position of the ruku. Following that, the author he mentions that the person should raise their head once they finished saying the dhikr, the remembrance of the ruku. The person raises himself or herself from the position of uh, bowing the ruku. And this is a rukun. To raise from the ruku is a rukun, it's a pillar in the salah. As the person is raising from the ruku, they should say these words. And this is a wajib. This dhikr is a wajib for the imam and the munfarid. The imam, the one who's leading the prayer, the munfarid, the one that is praying by themselves. These two people, they say this dhikr and the ma'mum the one who is following the imam doesn't say this rather they say rabbana wa lakal hamd so this dhikr samiyallahu liman hamida is a wajib for those two people the imam and the munfarid and what does it mean it means that allah responds to the one that praises him subhanahu wa ta'ala so as you notice from the beginning of the salah to the end of the salah there's an interaction between you and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you are saying things allah is listening and allah is responding so this should kind of keep you engaged in your prayer and hopefully save you from dozing off and thinking about other things. The author, he said, The person raises their hands at this position, coming up from the ruku, as they say, They raise their hands like they did in the opening takbir of the salah. The same way they raise their hands as we described it there, you would raise your hands now. And the raising of the hands here is a sunnah. It's not something which is obligatory, it's not something which is a rukan, it's a sunnah which we should aim to do. Uh, however, if we left it off, there's nothing upon us. The author, he said, Once the person has stood up completely from the ruku, they will say, Rabbana wa lakil hamd. Rabbana wa lakil hamd, that to Allah belongs all praise. To you, O Allah, our Lord belongs all praise. This is wajib on the imam and the munfarid and the ma'mum. So in all situations, the imam, the one who is praying by themselves, and the ma'mum, the one who is following the imam. So it's wajib on all to say this, Rabbana wa lakil hamd. Now this Rabbana wa lakil hamd, it can be said in four ways. It can be said in the way which is mentioned, Rabbana wa lakil hamd, or it can be said by taking out the wow. By taking out the wow, so you would say, Rabbana lakil hamd. So that's the second way. A third way, is as the author has said it, but to add on the word Allahumma, Allahumma, you would say Allahumma Rabbana wa lakil hamd. And a fourth way would to be say with Allahumma, but take out the wow. You would say Allahumma Rabbana lakil hamd. So these are four ways which have been authentically reported from the Prophet ﷺ in this dua. And adding to this, Rabbana wa lakil hamd, you would say Mil'u samawati wa mil al-ard wa mil ma shi'ta min shay'in ba'du. Okay, Mila Samawati wa Mil al Ard wa Mila Mashita min Shayin Badu. O Allah, we praise you to the extent of everything which is in the heavens and the earth, and to the extent of how much you may wish beyond the heavens and the earth. So this narration 
that I just quoted, This is found in the hadith in Sahih Muslim. And it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is praised for everything that He has created in the heavens and the earth. And everything that He does within the heavens and the earth for His creatures. From caring for them, for providing for them, for ensuring that things run smoothly, etc. So anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does in the heavens and the earth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is praised for that. Okay, the author he says, وَيَقْتَصِرُ الْمَعْمُومُ عَلَىٰ قَوْلِهِ رَبَّنَا وَلَكِ الْحَمْدِ That the ma'mum, the one who is following the imam, he won't say this, مِلْأَ السَّمَوَاتِ وَمِلْأَ الْأَرْضِ Rather, he would just say, رَبَّنَا وَلَكِ الْحَمْدِ Okay, he would say, رَبَّنَا وَلَكِ الْحَمْدِ In one of the four ways that I mentioned. Why is this? Because in the hadith in Bukhari, the Prophet said, If the Imam says, Then you who is praying behind the Imam, you say, The author says, Once the person has finished saying this dhikr or other dhikrs that the person may have learnt in the position of standing after the bowing, then the person now goes on and falls into prostration. Okay, making the takbir as they go into prostration. They make the takbir as they go into prostration, but they do not raise their hands as they go into the prostration. The author, Imam Ibn Qudam al-Maqdasi, in a second book of his, Al-Kafi, he mentions that every takbir that is immediately before the sujood or after the sujood, then the raising of the hands is not legislated in this position. So as you're going from the standing position to the sujood, you will say Allahu Akbar, but you do not raise your hands. The author said, وَيَكُونُوا أَوَّلَ مَا يَقْعُوا مِنْهُ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ رُكْبَتَاهُ ثُمَّ كَفَاهُ This is sunnah. That the first thing that you touch the earth with as you are going into the prostration, into the sujood on the ground, is your knees. The first things that should touch the ground are your knees, ثُمَّ كَفَاهُ And then his hands. And this is the position of the majority of scholars. Why? Because we have the hadith of Wa'il ibn Hujr, narrated by Imam Tirmidhi, Imam Abi Dawood and others, who said, رَأَيْتُ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا سَجَدَ وَضْعَ رُكْبَتَيْهِ قَبْلِ يَدَيْهِ وَإِذَا نَحَضَ رَفْعَ يَدَيْهِ قَبْلَ رُكْبَتَيْهِ That Wa'il ibn Hujr, this companion, may Allah have mercy upon him, he said, I saw the Prophet وسلم, that when he would go into sujood, he would put his knees on the ground before he would put his hands on the ground. And when he would raise from the sujood to go standing up again, he would raise his hands first from the ground and then his knees would follow. Okay? And what's wrong and what's not allowed is it's because if you wanted to take another opinion, there are many scholars that say you can put your knees before your hands. Uh, sorry, you can put your hands before your knees, opposite to the opinion, the opinion that I'm explaining. Uh, however, what is wrong and not allowed, uh, as confirmed by everybody, is not to do the knees and the hands at the same time, as some people do somehow manage to do. They go down into the suj with, sujood with their knees and hands at the same time, and this is something which should be avoided. The author, he said, Okay, after the knees have touched the ground, and then the hands, they touch the ground, then the person's forehead and the nose will then touch the ground. And what's wajib is that we have to remember to prostrate on the ground on the seven limbs. On the seven limbs as mentioned by the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith of Bukhari. The Prophet ﷺ said, I was commanded to prostrate upon seven limbs. 
upon the forehead. And then he pointed with his hand to his nose, meaning that the nose is to be on the ground along with the forehead. And the two hands, the two knees, and the tips of the feet, meaning the toes. Okay? Uh, this is sunnah. And this is wajib, sorry. This is wajib that the person prostrates, makes the sujood on all of these seven limbs. And um, what else can we mention here? Is that if there is something preventing the person's forehead from touching the ground, then it has to be removed. Unless, of course, the ground is very rough and it's going, or it's very hot, it's going to cause the person uh, from not being able to put their forehead on the ground, uh, then this will be okay. Dorothy said, The person, when they are praying, they spread out their arms from the rest of their body. They spread their arms out, their elbows out from the rest of their body. This is sunnah for men, it's not sunnah for women. In Bukhari, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Malik ibn Buhayna, radiyallahu anhu, said, And the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Kana ida salla farraja bayna yadayhi, that the Prophet ﷺ, when he would make sujood, when he would pray, he would space out between his hands to the extent that the whiteness of his armpits could be seen. Okay, so the Prophet ﷺ would not keep his elbows and arms tight to his body, rather he would space them out, and this is something which is a sunnah for the men, but it's not sunnah for the women. And of course, uh, if the person is praying in jama'ah, the person is praying in congregation, when other people are next to him, he shouldn't do it in that situation if it's going to harm the one next to him. He shouldn't be spreading his elbows out because it may be too tight and it may harm the person next to him. The author said, And also what should be spread out in the position of sujood is that the stomach should be spread away, should be away from the person's thighs, meaning that the, the person shouldn't be in a tight ball-like position which is rather recommended for the women, but not for the men. So as well as having the arms spread out from the side of the body, the, uh, the stomach should be away from the thighs of the person. And the hands of both the men and the women, they should be at the position of the shoulders. Okay, this is sunnah. This is sunnah. Uh, so the position of sujood, it should be remembered to be in a relaxed state and not to be spreading out too much and uh, because you want to spend as much time as possible in the sujood as we will explain in a few moments so you want to be in a relaxed position and the person should be upon the tips of their uh, feet which means the toes right the toes are not uh, bending to the left or the right rather they are bending facing towards the qibla so your your feet are like so and your toes as you make sujood, are bending slightly towards the qibla, towards the direction of the Kaaba. ثُمَّ يَقُولُ سُبْحَانَ رَبِّيَ الْأَعْلَى Then the person, he says three times, سُبْحَانَ رَبِّيَ الْأَعْلَى Okay, to say سُبْحَانَ رَبِّيَ الْأَعْلَى is a wajib, and it's something uh, which has to be said at least once. And the meaning of سُبْحَانَ رَبِّيَ الْأَعْلَى is that you are glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you are declaring that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free from any imperfections and you are declaring that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most high, high above his creation, upon his throne, in a manner which befits his majesty far from the thoughts and the, um, the imagination of human beings. Allah is far above what we think and what we imagine. 
So the most honorable place that you have in your body, which is your face, you know, it's always the case, don't touch my face, stay away from my face. The face is very honored and nobody's allowed to touch it. However, out of your submission for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you take the most honorable part of your body and you place it in the lowest position, showing the relationship that the master has with the slave, that you are the slave and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is your owner and master. And then due to the submission that you give to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah rewards you immensely with many rewards. And from the greatest of these rewards, when you're in the sujood and in that position when your face is humbly on the ground, as in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet said, as narrated by Abu Hurairah, Rasulullah that the closest a person is to his Lord or her Lord is in the position of the sujood. So increase in making du'a. And in another narration, another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, it's very likely that your du'a is going to be answered, so increase. So when you have established this relationship of submitting yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the position of sujood, and you are glorifying Him by saying, Subhana Rabbi al-A'la, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows for your du'as that you make in that position to be answered. Therefore, the person that wants that sweetness in life, and that happiness in life, and that comfort in life, then they shouldn't rust his position. This position is like when a child runs back to his mother and is embraced by the mother, protected by the mother's embrace. There's nothing like the mother's embrace in this life. Likewise, to be embraced by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the sujood position, there's nothing like it. So we spend a lot of time in the sujood making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and glorifying Him, saying subhanahu rabbi ala. Shaykh Abdul Salam al-Shawair, may Allah preserve him, he said that you could add wa bihamdihi. So you could say subhana rabbi al-a'la and you could say wa bihamdihi if you wanted to, but it's not um, as authentic as it is to say without it. However, it is allowed. So to say the dhikr once, subhana rabbi al-a'la is wajib, is obligatory, and to say three is what is recommended and above. Above three if you wish to do so. Uh, the author, he says, Once the person has finished the first sujood, the person gets up, of course, uh, lifting their head first, and saying, Allahu Akbar, as they get up and they sit in the sitting position. The person sits up in a position of iftirash, which is known as iftirash. We'll explain this quickly. So, getting up, from the sujood is a rukan, it's a pillar. Okay, sitting between the two prostrations, the sitting that we're going to do now is also a pillar. So what the person does is the left leg, they place underneath them. Okay, they place underneath their buttocks, their left leg, and the right leg is, the right foot is placed upright like so. Okay, this is known as iftirash. This is the position, uh, which is a sunnah, it's recommended to do, okay? The position of iftirash. Uh, in this position, some people, instead of sitting as we described, that the left leg is underneath them, and the right leg is positioned as such, uh, on the toes. Uh, maybe I'll send out a few pictures to the sister who can send it on the groups, to the administrators, uh, to, show this, to show this more clearly on a, on a picture, inshallah. So what we've just described is something which is recommended and sunnah. And what is to be avoided is that you shouldn't put your feet uh, like so and your buttocks in between your feet. Okay? 
uh, and then having your buttocks sitting on the floor and your foot on either side of you. So your right foot will be on the, on the side of you and your left foot on the side of you. This is something which is disliked and it's uh, described as being a sitting of shaitan. And um, as a reply to those who said that it's sunnah because Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, the cousin of the Prophet sallallahu he recommended it in a hadith which is found in Sahih Muslim. This is explained as being from the ijtihad, from the... Um, the deductive rulings of this great companion, but it's not from a statement of the Prophet ﷺ, as mentioned by Sheikh Abdul Salam al So the sitting which is to be avoided in this position, sitting between the two prostrations, is that the person shouldn't have their foot on either side of them and sitting with their butt on the floor. Rather, what's supposed to happen is that the left leg is underneath your butt, your bottom, and the uh, the right foot is um, touching the ground upwards and inshallah I'll send some pictures out which will make this very clear on how to sit uh, in any case as we said the sitting position is uh, something which is recommended it's sunnah it's not obligatory and as we mentioned before the, uh, the toes of the person are facing towards the qibla and the person says oh my lord forgive me three times okay once to say once is wajib to say once is obligatory to say three times is something which is recommended in sunnah. So when you are sitting in that position between the two prostrations, you've prostrated once, you've made sujood on the ground, you get up, you sit, before going back into the second position. In the sitting position, you should say, Rabbi Ghfilli, oh my Lord, forgive me. Okay? Once is obligatory, three times is recommended. And there are, there are other du'as that you could also learn to say here. And it's recommended to learn them because it keeps you engaged in your prayer and you don't get bored from saying the same thing all the time. Uh, then he said, Then the person goes into the second prostration, doing exactly what they did in the first prostration. Okay, you make the second sujood. After having then done the second prostration, Then the person raises his head or her head from the position of sujood, saying, Allahu Akbar, until they get to the standing position, and then they go ahead and they pray the second unit of the prayer like they prayed the first unit of the prayer. However, what's going to be missing between the uh, second unit of the prayer and the first unit is the opening dua. You're not going to say the opening dua again, nor are you going to seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before you recite Surah Al-Fatiha. Everything else from the Surah Al-Fatiha onwards, you did in the first rakah, the first unit, you will now do again in the second unit of prayer. And also a point to mention here, which we did touch upon in the question and answer session, is that the author, uh, the Imam, in his uh, encyclopedia of fiqh, Al-Mughni, he mentioned that the person gets up for the second unit without having that sitting of rest. Because what some people do is that between, after having prostrated the second prostration, the second sajda, and getting up to stand up for the second uh, units before getting up to stand they sit for a moment and they then they stand this sitting is only allowed if you have a need for it meaning that you have aches and pains and you're unable to from the position of sujood to stand straight up because that's when the prophet وسلم, did it he did it the prophet وسلم, when he became old and it was difficult for him to get up straight away from the prostrating position the sujood to standing up the prophet would sit for a few moments allowing himself to have the energy and for the body to fall back into its natural position 
before standing up. So this is only to be done if you have those issues. Otherwise, you shouldn't do it. Dorothy said, فَإِذَا فَرَغَ مِنْهُمَا جَلَّسَ لِلْتَشَهُّدِ مُفْتَرِشًا If the person has finished now the two units of prayers, then they sit in for what is known as the tashahud, the sitting after having prayed two units of prayers. The person sits muftarishan. Muftarishan, as we described, that the person has the left leg underneath them and the right leg, the right foot is positioned upright. Okay? So in every prayer, um, in every prayer that has more than two units, like Maghrib and Dhuhr and Asr and Isha, you would, in this sitting, you would sit muftarishan in the way that I described, okay? Whereas the second tashahud, the second sitting in a prayer which is either only two units, okay, or it's um, more than two units, but it has a second sitting, the last sitting you would sit in a different manner, which we'll describe later, inshallah. So the author, he said, so if you finish these two uh, units of prayer, now you sit for the tashahud muftarishan. And what you do is as follows. فَيَبْسُطُ يَدُهُ الْيُسْرَى عَلَى فَخِذِهِ الْيُسْرَى So the, the right arm is placed upon, the sorry, the left arm is placed upon the left thigh. وَيَدُهُ الْيُمْنَى عَلَى فَخِذِهِ الْيُمْنَى And the right arm is placed upon the, the right thigh. يَقْبِدُ مِنْهَا الْخِنْصَرُ وَالْبِنْصَرُ With regards to the right hand, the two fingers, the khinsar and the birsar, would be uh, brought together, would be brought together like so. Okay, and the ibham, the ibham and the wusta would be brought together like so. Would be brought together like so. Uh, and then you would point with your right finger. So the pinky finger, the small finger and the one next to it, you bring it together. And then the middle finger and the, uh, the thumb, you make a circle with. And this finger... Okay, is it the index finger? I'm not sure. You, you point with it in certain places in the salah. Okay, so this finger, you would raise it whenever Allah's name is mentioned in the uh, tashahud. Whenever Allah's name is mentioned, I think it's about six times, you would raise it uh, when Allah's name is mentioned and then you would put it back. Tayyib. So you say in the tashahud, in the sitting position, you start with the uh, tashahud, you say, At-tahiyyatu lillah. At-tahiyyatu lillah, meaning that all types of magnification and glorifying are for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nobody else shares in this magnification and glorification in a true way as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does. Uh, what this means in reality, and it's a very important side point, is that our heart is never occupied with love and magnification as it is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This complete love this complete submission, this complete glorifying only belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you see that some people, they are overwhelmed with their pop, with a pop star or with a football player or with a leader of a country. Sometimes their heart becomes overwhelmed. No, the overwhelming of the heart belongs only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then you say, salawatu, meaning that all prayers, whether they are obligatory prayers or non-obligatory prayers are for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and all du'as are for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and none has a right to be shared in these prayers or du'as other than Allah, alongside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wassalawatu wa tayyibatu wa tayyibatu means that Allah is pure in his being in his actions in his speech and all that he does and all good pure deeds are raised up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone 
all pure good deeds should be done for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and he accepts pure deeds Assalamu alayka ayyuhan nabiyyu Assalamu alayka you are saying oh Allah keep Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam safe assalam give him safety from any harm in this world or the hereafter ayyuhan nabiyyu oh messenger oh prophet this ayyuha is normally used when you address somebody that is alive in front of you and we know that the Prophet ﷺ has left this world and he is dead now in the barzakh. He is dead from this world but alive, a life which is different completely from this uh, uh, worldly life. He's alive in his grave. In the station between the grave and being raised in the hereafter, he's in that life now which is known as al-barzakh. So why is it that you address the Prophet ﷺ with ayyuhal nabi, which as we said is only for living beings. The scholars, they say it's not that you are thinking that the Prophet ﷺ is alive in this world, rather it's bringing to mind istihdar, bringing to mind that you know you are thinking so much about the Prophet ﷺ when you are sending peace and blessings upon him. It's as though the Prophet ﷺ is in front of you, though you know full well that the Prophet ﷺ has left this world and he's not connected to this world anymore. He is in the barzakh. So you say Assalamu alaika, ayyuhan nabiyu. Rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and may Allah's mercy be upon you and his barakat, and may his uh, blessings, his barakah be upon you. Barakah is that you asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the favors that Allah blesses Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they continue to grow upon the upon Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, because the word barakah comes from the word birka. Birka means like a large pool of water. A large pool of water is always there remaining for everybody to benefit from. So this is what barakah means, that a blessing remains with you for a long time. So we're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep Muhammad blessed. And from that blessing is that many people keep entering into Islam so that the Prophet Muhammad gets more and more continual reward. So rahmatullah, Allah's mercy be upon Muhammad wa barakatuh. And also the blessings and the barakah remain upon Muhammad Assalamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin. Assalamu alayna means may peace also be upon us, meaning the ones that are praying uh, with me, may peace be upon me and all those that are praying with me. Wa ala ibadillahi salihin. And also upon the righteous slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The righteous slaves, wherever they may be, whether they're in the heavens, on the earth, whether it's from the jinn or the angels, whether it's from the believers uh, that are human beings, all of these we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give them peace to give them blessings and uh, to keep them safe. So a point to note here is that if you're praying and you're intending that Allah spreads peace and blessings to all other righteous believers, then it can never be the case that as soon as you leave the salah, you say, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, that you're then going to go and harm somebody in society. How can that be the case when you've just said these beautiful words, that Allah bring peace and blessings and safety to the believers wherever they may be? It's like in the Prophet ﷺ, he said in Bukhari, in the hadith in Bukhari, that the true Muslim is the one that saves all other Muslims from the harm of his tongue or his hand or her tongue and her hand, right? So when we're making this dua in the salah, we shouldn't then leave the salah and go on and harm people as many people are harming each other today in a variety of ways. Then we say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. I testify based upon knowledge. And I testify based upon certainty that there is none that has the right to be worshipped in truth except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And I testify based upon knowledge and certainty that there is none that is a final messenger, that there is none other than the final messenger, Muhammad وسلم, who was who was Allah's slave and messenger. He was the slave of Allah. He didn't share any divinity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he was his final messenger. These words, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, they are the words that bring somebody into Islam. They are the words that if they are lived upon with understanding and application of their meanings, they will lead us to the Jannah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enter us into His Jannah. However, that it requires that we educate ourselves as to what do they really mean. Because they have so many deep meanings and we're going to learn those through courses of aqidah, Islamic belief, or reading books on Islamic belief. That's what you will learn about what these words mean and how they will benefit you in your life and how they will lead you to the hereafter. The author, he said, فَهَذَا أَصَحُّ مَا رُوِيَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم فِي التشهد. This is the most authentic that has been reported from the Prophet وسلم, as to what you say in the tashahud al-awsat, in the middle tashahud. Okay, so if you are praying, as we said, you are praying a prayer which has a, a third rakah or a fourth rakah, then now what you're going to do is after having said what we've said in this tashahud, you're going to go up and you're going to pray the third rakah and the fourth rakah and then you will carry on with what the author is going to say now in, a, in the second tashahud before you end your prayer. So what we've said now is where you stop before you get up for the, for the third unit and the fourth unit. Okay? However, if it was only a two-unit prayer, now you continue and say what the author is going to teach us. But if it's a third unit and a fourth unit, you do the third unit and the fourth unit, then you do what the author is going to teach us. So the author, he says, ثُمَّ يَقُولُ اللَّهُمَّ صَلِّ عَلَى مُحَمَّدِ This is a wajib, okay? According to the author, it's a wajib, but it's a rukan according to the other humbly scholars, the majority of the humbly scholars. So our author, he's saying this is a, a wajib. You say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. You are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send this salah upon Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which means, as mentioned by uh, Imam Bukhari, quoting from the Tabi'i, the great Imam of the Tabi'in, uh, Abu Alia, rahmatullah alayhi, who said that saying, when you say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, you are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to mention the virtues of Muhammad sallallahu in the highest gatherings that are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to mention him amongst the other prophets the righteous and the angels okay so you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to mention and the virtues of Muhammad sallallahu to honor him and to show his status amongst the angels and anyone else that is with them in that high lofty company wa ali muhammad and also have salah upon the al of muhammad the al of muhammad it means the relatives of Muhammad, the believing relatives of Muhammad, upon whom charity, sadaqah, is for, forbidden. They are the tribes of Banu Hashim, the tribe of Hashim, the tribe of Banu Mutalib, the tribe of Mutalib, and the wives of the Prophet So Al-Muhammad, this word Al-Muhammad refers to these tribes in specific, and it refers to general, in general, anybody that followed Muhammad in belief. So it also covers us by the permission of, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, as you sent salah, as you did send salah upon the Prophet Abraham and upon the family of the Prophet Abraham. 
So send salah upon Muhammad and his followers as you sent salah upon Abraham and the family and followers of Abraham. Sheikh Abdul Salam al-Shawair, he mentions that Kama salayta ala Ibrahim. The word Ibrahim here, the name Ibrahim here is not uh, very authentically reported. So it's better to say Kama salayta ala Ali Ibrahim. As you may dua upon Ali Ibrahim, upon the family of Ibrahim. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Innaka hamidun majid. Verily and certainly Allah, you are hamid and you are majid. Hamid is the one that is Hamid Mahmud, the one that praises his slaves and his righteous creation, and the one that is praised by his slaves and his righteous creation. This is the meaning of Hamid. And Majid is the one that is um, the one that has high status, uh, power, and authority that nobody can contest with. This is the meaning of the word Majid from the word Majd. So Hamidun Majid, as we just explained. وَبَارِكَ لَا مُحَمَّدُ وَعَلَىٰ آلِ مُحَمَّدُ And give barakah to Muhammad ﷺ and also upon the family and the followers of Muhammad ﷺ. كَمَا بَارَكْتَ عَلَىٰ آلِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ إِنَّكَ حَمِيدٌ مَجِيدٌ As you gave barakah, blessings, to the family and followers of Ibrahim, إِنَّكَ Certainly and verily, you are Hamid al-Majid. إِنَّكَ حَمِيدٌ مَجِيدٌ وَيُسْتَحَبُّ أَنْ يَتَّعَوَّذْ مِنْ عَذَابِ جَهَنَّمْ so now we finish the tashahud and the last thing which is highly recommended to do is to seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the matters that we are about to mention. It's recommended, highly recommended that you seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the punishment of the hellfire. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran and in many places, Ya nara. O you who believe, Save yourselves and your families from the fire. The fuel of this fire is mankind and stones. Overlooking this fire, which is punishing the disbelievers and the sinful from the uh, creation of Allah, are angels. They are harsh and they are severe. They will never ever disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that which Allah has commanded him, commanded the angels to do so. So this fire is a severe punishment and it's something that we should always seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from. The Prophet said that the fire that we have in this world is but one part, one seventieth of what is to be expected in the fire of the hereafter. If not, he said one hundredth. So the fire that we suffer in this world is only one hundredth or one seventieth of the fire which is in the hereafter. The Prophet ﷺ, when he described the fire of the hereafter, the hellfire, he said that it's a huge creation which will be brought forth on the Day of Judgment with 70,000 bridles, 70,000 handles, so to speak. And on each bridle or handle, there will be 70,000 angels pulling that huge, massive creation that Allah has created to punish those that were disobedient to Him. May Allah save us from the hellfire. So the person is highly recommended that they seek refuge in Allah at the end of this tashahud, at the end of the sitting, by saying, oh Allah, we seek refuge in you, min adabi jahannam, wa min adabil qabr. And the person also seeks refuge in Allah from the punishment of the grave. In Bukhari, it's mentioned that Aisha radiallahu anha, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu our mother, that two Jewish women came to her and they mentioned to her about the punishment of the grave. 
She, Aisha radiallahu anha, said, I refuse to believe them until the Prophet came back. And this is how the believer is. The believer filters out all information with the Quran and the Sunnah. That which fits with what is in the Quran and the Sunnah, they take as belief. Anything which doesn't fit with the Quran and the Sunnah, they reject as belief. So Aisha radiallahu anha was visited by two Jewish women who in the conversation mentioned about the punishment in the grave. And she said, I refuse to believe them. And when the Prophet ﷺ came home, I told the Prophet ﷺ about that. And, they, and the Prophet ﷺ said, Verily, they have spoken the truth. Verily, the people, the disobedient and the disbelievers will be punished in their grave, in their graves. Such a punishment that all other living creatures will hear it. And it will scare all other living creatures. The only ones that were unable to hear this punishment in the grave are the human beings. Because if they were to hear this punishment, they wouldn't be able to live a happy life on this earth. So I never saw the Prophet Aisha said ever after that incident except that he would seek refuge in Allah in the prayer in this position from the punishment of the grave. And we seek refuge in Allah from the fitna, from the trials of the mahya from the trials of life and mamad, the trials of life every day we are tempted by Satan every moment we're tempted to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, every day something difficult will come upon us but holding on to the obedience of Allah seeking refuge in Allah's protection from the harms of Satan and other worldly harms by doing good deeds by having correct Islamic belief by making lots of remembrance of Allah by seeking correct knowledge and implementing that knowledge, then we are protected by Allah's permission so we seek refuge in Allah min fitnatil mahya from the trials and tribulations of life wal mamat and also the trials and tribulations of death the discomfort and the 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 fear which comes at the time of death the pangs of death bring about so much discomfort uh, because the person realizes that he or she is finally leaving this world that he or she has now run out of opportunity to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he or she now only has the mercy of Allah azawajal and what they put forth from their deeds. So the person now realizes that all that time that they wasted, now they're going to pay for it. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us from those that did good in this life and will be rewarded with comfort and joy in the hereafter. وَمِنْ فِتْنَةِ الْمَسِيحَ الدَّجَالِ And also seek refuge in, uh, from the tribulations and trials for, of the Masih al-Dajjal, from the Dajjal, the one-eyed liar, that all prophets from the time of Adam السلام, after had warned their people about who is soon to come we are the last nation uh, on this earth and we have been warned by the Prophet السلام, about this huge tribulation that is going to come we ask Allah to save us from it this great liar that is going to misguide so many people he will be given powers by Allah uh, in order to be able to put to trial and to misguide those who don't have correct belief uh, he will be having powers to the extent that those who follow him will benefit from the rain and from the clouds and from the uh, pastures and the fruits of the earth. And those who do not follow him, who are us, the believers, they will not receive the rain. They will not receive the fruits and the vegetation of the earth. He will bring people back from death alive. He won't really do that. It will be seem as though he's doing that. Rather, there will be devils that will come alive in the, in, in the uh, appearance of dead people, dead believers. And he will put people to test. He will say, I am your Lord Allah. Don't you see that I have brought to life your parents that died? So you should believe in me. So there will be many tests that this 
uh, false liar that the Dajjal, the Antichrist, will bring. But seeking refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will save us from these trials and tribulations. So after having said this dua, the person makes the taslim. The person on their right, they say, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. And they turn all the way to the right. Okay? This is a rukan, this is a pillar. And you say also on the left, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. On the left. And this one on the left is a sunnah. The one on the right is a pillar. The one saying Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah on the left is a sunnah. So you're giving salam to those who prayed with you. You give salam to the angels that were around you. And it's not recommended to say wa barakatuhu as mentioned by Sheikh Ibn Baz, rahmatullah alayhi, Sheikh Abdul Salam al-Shawayr and many others. So we say Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah to the right, which is a rukan, it's a pillar. And to the left, we say it, it's a sunnah. It's recommended that when you make this taslim, when you make Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, that when you look to the left, you turn to the left more than you did to the right. This is mentioned in the hadith of Ibn Majah, that the companion that narrated the taslim of the Prophet ﷺ would say that we behind the Prophet ﷺ, when he made the first taslim to the right, we could see his cheek, part of his cheek. However, when he made taslim to the left, we could see both of his cheeks, meaning that the Prophet ﷺ turned around so much that both of the cheeks were visible. Okay? Uh, in any case, the point is that it's sunnah, that when you turn to the left, you turn more. The author, he says, If the prayer was more than two raka'ah, okay, then the person, after having said the first tashahud, which we described earlier before, then the person would get up uh, and pray the, sec- the third raka'ah and the fourth raka'ah, if there was a fourth raka'ah. So the person gets up, not using their hands from, from the tashahud, unless they have to, uh, unless there's a need for them to do so. And then they pray the two rak'ah without reciting after Surah Al-Fatiha, another surah. So in the first rak'ah, in the first unit of prayer, and in the second unit of prayer after Surah Al-Fatiha, you recited a surah or the imam recited a surah if you're praying behind the imam. In the third rakah of Maghrib or in the fourth rakah of Dhuhr, of Asr, Isha, uh, a, a surah is not to be recited. It's only Surah Al-Fatiha in the third and the fourth rakah. Then he said, فَإِذَا جَلَّسَ لِلْتَشَهَدُ الْأَخِيرِ When you sit for the last tashahud, which is the one we just explained now, tawarruk, you make tawarruk. فَنَسَبَ رِجْلَهُ الْيُمْنَ وَفَرَشَ الْيُسْرَى Um, you, this tawarruk, this, this way of sitting for the last tashahud is basically that you're sitting again with your uh, left leg underneath you and your, your bottom is on your left leg however your foot comes out from between your thighs and again I'll send out some pictures which will make this clear inshallah your foot comes out from between your thighs if you are able to do, the, do so this is something which is uh, Recommended sunnah. However, it's a little bit difficult to do so uh, unless you have the flexibility. And then he, he brings it out, his left foot from the right side of his body. Okay, this is known as a tawarruk. Dorothy says, And you don't make this tawarruk, this position of sitting uh, in the tashahud, unless it's the second tashahud, unless it's in a prayer 
which has a second tashahud, which is any prayer that has three rakas or four rakas. Three units of prayer or four units of prayer. Fil akhir minhuma. And you do this, of course, in the last tashahud, in the last sitting. Fa'idha sallama istaghfara thalath. And after you make the taslim, you say, Salaam alaykum wa rahmatullah, Salaam alaykum wa rahmatullah. Then it's highly recommended, it's sunnah that you say, Astaghfirullah. You say, Allah, I seek your forgiveness three times. You may wonder to yourself, I've just now prayed to Allah I've done a good deed so why am I seeking Allah's forgiveness I didn't do a bad deed I didn't do a sin this is teaching us something which is of a very noble high character that the believer always seems himself looks upon himself and it's a reality that the believer's worship always has shortcomings in regards to what it should be and how it could be with regards to the bounties that Allah continually gives us with regards to the magnificence of Allah His Majesty what Allah deserves from our prayers is much, much more than we do. So you can imagine yourself as a poor person, you have access to a king who all, always takes care of your needs, always bestows upon you what you need and cares for you. And one day you have enough to bring a gift to this king. But this gift that you've brought to the king, you know it can, can never equate what the king has done for you and can never equate and be, uh, be appropriate for the status of the king being a king because you're a poor person. So when you give the gift to the king, you're groveling to the king also that I wish I could have done more. I apologize. This is You deserve much more than this as a gift. Likewise to Allah belongs the highest of examples. The worship that we do, though we're happy and we're grateful that we did it, we should always feel this taqseer, this shortcoming, which is the reality that we didn't do enough. And that saves us from ever being arrogant. And that gives us that impetus of always wanting to do more. So we seek forgiveness from Allah three times. Then we say, Allahumma anta salam. This is all recommended. Allahumma anta salam. Oh Allah, you are a salam. Wa minka salam. And from you comes a salam. A salam is that Allah is free from all deficiencies. And Allah is the one who is peace in a way which befits His Majesty. Wa minka salam. And from you comes salam. Oh Allah, you give peace and tranquility to the ones who worship you. Your name is full of blessings. O oh Allah, the Jalal wal Ikram, another way of glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, this is mentioned in the hadith of Muslim, uh, narrated by Thawban, who said, that the Prophet that the Prophet when he used to finish his prayer, he would seek refuge in Allah three times. Look, the Prophet that had zero sins. He would, seek refuge, he would seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after the prayer three times and then he would say Allahumma tassalam wa minka salam tabarakta ya dha jalali wal ikram Okay, uh, yes we explained that tabarakta ya dha jalali wal ikram We'll stop here inshallah and one last thing to add that the sifa that the description of the women is the same in the prayer for the men except in the sujood uh, in how they gather themselves and also some ulama they also mentioned that there's a specific setting for them in the tashahud and this is all for the sake of sitr sitr meaning that the woman should be more concealed and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best if there was anything which was correct it was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the shortcomings and mistakes were for myself and shaitan I ask Allah to reward us immensely for this short effort that we've made. And if you have any questions on what I've taken so far, then feel free to ask.